And welcome to the VSA Capital Tech and Transitional Energy Podcast. Uh, we obviously had a week off last week because it was the uh, long Jubilee weekend, which I hope everybody enjoyed. Uh, did you enjoy it, Phil? It was absolutely fantastic. And we got the weather as well. Hurrah. So a uh, good turnout all around. And I understand that you've been left with a barrel of beer as well, Andrew, from it. Don't tell everybody, they'll be around my house trying to get a free pint off me. But uh, you're right, I've got a whole barrel of London Pride sitting in my house, which I really must get rid of somehow. There's only one way to get rid of a barrel of beer, and that's drink it. But I'm going to drink it with other people in my street. <laughs> Very good. Even I can't drink 72 pints of beer. <laughs> no. Anyway, um, let's turn to... I'll tell you, why don't we kick off? There was a, there was a piece of news out today which I think is quite important and sort of sets maybe the tone for this podcast. Uh, and the market actually wasn't that impressed by it. We had a, an update from uh, ITM today, didn't we, Phil? Why don't you talk through that? And we'll discuss that and that'll lead on to, I think, other things in transitional energy. Yeah, this is uh, ITM Power uh, PLC. Um, oh, what's the market cap now? Well, it's well over a billion pounds, that's for sure. So it's electrolyzer technology uh, that's used to um, take electricity and apply that to water in a very complex way and produce hydrogen. So, yeah, uh, very important in the hydrogen economy. Uh, and they had a trading and corporate update today. Um, and they were pointing out, it's quite interesting this, that they had look at the size of their sort of backlogs and, and what was in negotiation um, and bearing in mind the valuation they had said that their backlog was at about 74 percent to 75 megawatts uh, well that was also work in progress and then contracts backlog was up 160 you know percent to 755 megawatts so it's all sort of kind of, you know, progress in terms of orders. But then we came to, you know, the revenue uh, for the business. Um, and it was expected on audited financial results for the 12 months to 30th of April, this is from the company, revenue of 5.5 million pounds, up from 4.3 million impacted by a deferred uh, delivery on products um, and revenue recognition slipping, an EBITDA loss of 36 million. Well, we know the company's investing very, very heavily in its technology and a cash burn of 52 million, but it's sat on UN cash of 364 million. So it was kind of, I read it and I just did wonder if the sort of market had been expecting, I mean, I've not got the consensus forecast, more you know, progress in terms of that sort of top line of projects. And what your take was? Well, uh, I mean, regardless of my take, the stock is down 13% yeah. today. So clearly mm -hmm. the market is disappointed. Uh, the market cap for your what it's worth is about 1.8 billion. Um, but I mean, with the price down here at um, sort of 250p, slightly under 249p, we've come down a long way. I mean, we peaked, Phil, at about over 700p, I think. So, I mean, the stock has had quite a fall as you know basically in line to a certain extent with the whole transitional energy space where everything really got a little bit overhyped I think it's fair to say um sort of 18 months ago mm. um so look I mean I, I think that what we're what people are starting to realize is and it's funny how the market works it got overhyped 18 months ago when everyone was extraordinarily excited about transitional energy 
Uh, and now the market's saying this, oh my God, it's never going to happen. It's all happening too slowly and these companies will be overpriced and et cetera, et cetera. You see this so often in, in, in particularly in sort of the tech, techie type area, that investors are often really bad at understanding the timing. You see it also in the mining sector, actually. You know, people get very, very excited at exploration that don't realize just how long it then takes to get into production and to throw off all the cash. You've got exactly the same sort of thing happening here now in transitional energy. Uh, and ICM has, has fallen foul of that, should we say. And as you say, I mean, for a 1.8 billion market cap company, actually 75 megawatts isn't really that exciting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've got to remember this stock is a 10 bagger as well, even at today's price. If you look back on that chart, it's up tenfold from 28p um, three, four years ago. And I think, do you know what? The, one of the worst phrases I always hear is like, cut it, what is it? Cookie cutter approach to <laughs> tech. What the hell? You know, complicated technologies take an awful long time to get designed and into production and then into production where they can be produced commercially and to make a profit. It takes a lot of time. And there's always the, you know, the temptation is the cookie. Oh, yeah, it's easy to replicate. We'll be able to make thousands of damn things. And yeah. Well, it takes a lot of time and a lot of money. I mean, luckily, ITM have got a lot of money, as you said, like whatever it was, 364 million. Yeah, so absolutely. They've got the money, they will get there in the end. And yeah. they've got some good partners. They've got partners like Shell. They've obviously got this new joint venture with VTOL. So they're in with the right people. So look, it's a company that's going to go on and win. Um, it's just a case of what price do you pay for it today? And the market obviously has taken a somewhat negative view. Now, let's let's turn to uh, same sort of well not quite the same space but our client Infinity Energy Systems to some extent or at least the whole long duration energy storage because news coming out of the US this week um, is actually pretty exciting on this um, the Department of Energy has basically said um, that it's going to drop in um, I think I forgot how many billion dollars it was anyway can you remember exactly how many it was no I can't uh, but it was a lot anyway we're talking billions, not millions, basically, into um, supporting um, half a billion dollars, actually, to support long-duration energy storage. Um, this is this is US government money. Um, and I, I, I can also tell you there is, there's going to be grants and loans and the California Energy Commission as well, uh, we know, has actually is tendering as we speak, or has tendered, for non-lithium uh, long duration energy storage and I mean at the moment as far as I can see the only non-lithium uh, long duration energy storage that works is vanadium flow so to a certain extent it has to be like that I, I noticed also that um, Biden has waived tariffs on solar panels uh, being exported from Vietnam um, and Cambodia and Malaysia and Thailand uh, as they put it to serve as a bridge whilst US manufacturing ramps up um, and so there is also, I can tell you, a huge move at the moment um, in the US for what I call American manufacturing by an American company for American customers. And if you can provide that, basically, the American government will pretty much pay for you to do it. Um, and I think it's fair to say that, you know, our feeling is that that's sort of the direction of travel uh, for Infinity. The, the news so far has ever pointed ES advisors out in New York to help them uh, with 
that process. As most people know, I've been in America looking at various things for them. Uh, and you can see how, where the direction of travel is. Uh, but there's a company, obviously, that currently the market, again, it's, it's underperformed in a similar sort of way to IC, ICM, which is very disappointing, but it's just the sector. Um, but it's it's in a completely different valuation. Um, but, you know, we've still got to wait and see. I mean, the proof is in the pudding and all those sort of things. But um, it, it actually, funny enough, sometimes when the market is most bearish, it's when you actually want to be buying because actually, you know, the storm clouds are about to clear and the sunshine's about to come through afterwards. Yeah, and you always ask yourself, Andrew, is it, you know, is the market still there? Yes, it is. Is it going bust? No, it's not. Do you know what I mean? Has it got the right partners? Yes, it has. That, that's the view you take of a business, of, you know, the business when the share prices are, you know, depressed, depressed like that. Those yeah. fundamental questions. And also with the, do you know what's quite a big, been reading a lot about the, the battery storage markets in the UK and um, the sort of tariffs getting paid now and the business models and it's, and it's shifting quite significantly from, you know, where you've got a spike in the grid, uh, you know, or a lapse in, in, in grid power because of demand in winter over a short period of time, the batteries would kick in, you know, give a give a jolt of energy into the grid. And it's not like that anymore. They are actually becoming um, a, it's more about the energy rather than the power. It's, it, it is energy, it's long duration storage. It's the ability to produce electricity over a good period of time during the day. And there's quite quite a move in the way the business models are working for this as well. So, yeah, it's a lot, lot going on. Well, the other thing is with where fuel prices are at the moment. You know, we all see these, yep. you know, diesel is now £2 a litre, £100 to fill up your car. I think people, you know, pretty soon must be the competitiveness, shall we say, of renewable energy is going to get more and more attractive um, because the gas and oil price is just so strong. Now, just sort of sticking on, on, on this whole battery theme, because a few other things that I've noticed this week. The, earlier this week, we had AMT Power, which is trying to build in, in quite a few different sort of batteries up in Scotland. Uh, they signed a, a joint venture with Vertec to collaborate on hydrogen hypercars. Um, now, AMT Power, I, I, I know when it came to the market, we did question slightly the valuation because it came obviously when the market was in this ebullient mood. Uh, it has come all the way back, unfortunately, from sort of um, 300p um, all the way back down to sort of 70p. Uh, so we were right on the valuation. Uh, I still quite like to go and visit the company, actually, to try and get an understanding of it. But again, you know, this is a case of batteries. They take a long time to develop and they cost a lot of money. Um, I, I, I'm sure they've got some good technology. As I said, I'd love to go up to uh, Scotland and see it. Um, and then the one though that really has caught my eye, and it's one that we have talked about a bit in the past, uh, Phil. Um, and I'm not sure if we mentioned this on our last podcast, but Nano One Technology over in Vancouver, run by a guy called Dan Blondahl, who is just a genius when it comes, in my view, to batteries and battery technology. I've actually been around his labs and everything, and it's just like going back to university and seeing the chemistry labs. Um, but they obviously bought a load of the assets off Johnson and Massey when they decided to quit the battery market after spending 140 million. Um, but I now see today they've done an amazing deal actually, and they've basically and I haven't quite worked out. I need to I need to probably look at this in a bit more detail. They seem to have got Rio uh, to uh, invest in them. Um, Rio Tinto, the mining company. Um, 
10 million dollars and have a strategic partnership uh, to, as it puts it, the partnership will accelerate the commercialization of Nano One's One Pot and M2 Cam technologies. Uh, now, this is this is actually fascinating to me, but it also shows well, it shows me two things. One, clearly Nano One is is doing all the right things. Um, two, to get a partner like Rio Tinta and put money in, that's what you got to do if you're a battery company. You need good corporate partners. Um, but they're clearly they've got something exciting here with all these people and such interest. Um, so look, I'm a big fan of Nano One. We've talked about it in the past, um, but I view that as a pretty exciting deal. Don't know if you looked at that at all, Phil. But yeah, no. I did, yeah, no, I did briefly look at that because I was quite when I saw the deal that they what they acquired from Johnson Matthey. Uh, I was just for six million pounds. Teaming, yeah, teaming Canada, R&D, uh, commercial scale, cathode production, product qualification, quality assurance systems. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and a capacity, you know, you know and a plant, um, two, two and a half thousand ton capacity plant, LFP production plant. That was, that was a good, 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 good interesting deal. So uh, they're clearly moving ahead and to get that sort of external interest. I always think when you've got a big industrial partner, it's the level of due diligence that they're able to do, Andrew. So why that's always such a big thing. And, and, yeah, interesting. That, that I, they I don't disagree with that at all. But I mean, Dan, if you are listening, yeah. um, please come and dual list in London. I'd love to take you around uh, London institutions. I think you've got a fantastic business. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so I mean, there's, there's a lot actually happening is the answer in the transitional energy space. Um, look, I know we tend to focus on um, our sort of favourite companies, which is somewhat understandable. I actually, for what it's worth, over the Jubilee weekend, uh, I was actually playing golf um, with the fund manager of the Schroeder Global Energy Transition Fund. Happens to be my son, which is why I was playing golf with him. He hates talking business with me, although one day I'm still hopeful I'll get him onto this podcast. Um, but uh, he was saying how volatile the stocks in his sector were and how he's really struggling to uh, uh, keep his head above water, I suppose. I mean, God, if you can keep your head above water in these markets, he's doing bloody brilliantly. And actually, in fairness, he is. I, I was looking at statistics. He's like maybe off one or two percent this year, which is, is very good. Uh, but I'm, I was also just looking at his. Uh, you can look up on the, the Internet, uh, the top 10 holdings of the fund. Um, and he's he's got some interesting things, but it looks as though he's he's going to what I describe as a fairly been in a fairly defensive mood. Uh, his biggest holding is Vestas Wind Systems, then First Solar. Interesting enough, he has Johnson Massey as his third largest holding. Uh, Samsung, LG Chem, Nexans, Volkswagen, um, Solar Edge Technologies, Corp Akiona, Johnson Controls International. So a fairly defensive stance he's taking at the moment. All big, big international companies as well, um, not ones that most listeners to this will be able to get hold of. And that's one of the reasons why I think this is a great fund to hold if uh, you believe uh, you, you're an exposure to the global transitional energy uh, scene, which I think you do. It's very important. Yeah, I'm becoming, you know, despite the, the current turmoil, as a probably a fundamental change coming in in it and the scale of investment in it because of the the power of fossil fuels and and what the damage that they could potentially do to the economy i mean we're you know i'm a bit too old to remember the oil shock of the flipping the early so was it 73 the oil yeah. shock when opec rocketed the prices up but the damage that was done to the economy by that reliance on 
you know one particular source of energy so i think when was it when the dust settles you know there's a there will be more there's got to be more emphasis on this surely anyway look probably enough uh on that yeah let's uh let's have a look at shall we um some results maybe yeah, um don't know if you've got any that you wanted to mention well we've got on the nano subject uh nanoco N -A -N -O. yes quantum dots quantum dot quantum dots and legal whatever litigation yay nano nano materials so these are materials that enhance uh displays uh those lovely flat screens that you have in your living room and obviously nanoco was in um with dispute with a samsung on the litigation one of the biggest uh, display manufacturers in the world um and they uh judge in the us rejected samsung's request for a further delay and ruled in favor of nanoco to lift a stay on the litigation i think it was a uh, i'm no lawyer but i think that read it was sort of positive for them because the litigation is against samsung that's right a willful infringement of the group's ip so that was sort of favorable they also won some new business as well um a work package for a european electronics customer um and they said it's a year-long contract um so that's good and i think they announced a fundraising as well andrew i'm not sure if they announced the final result of fundraising but they had said the fundraising to take place in the 6th of, of june and was sig very significantly very significantly oversubscribed yeah, on the actual announcement, they didn't say by how much. They just said they'd done one. But uh, what are you right. listening? Come and tell us more, and we'll we'll give you a good push. Um, she's the IR lady. Uh, one I saw actually, which I I like, is a company called Ashted Technologies that was floated out of Ashted fairly recently. I, I remember actually when uh, I used to act for Ashted back in the nineties uh, when it was actually a very small company based in Ashted. Um, it's now a huge FTSE one hundred company. But Ashted Technologies is their sort of sub C. Uh, now independent group uh, they had some really good finals group revenue up 32 percent uh, adjusted EBITDA increased 118 percent uh, and they are um, you know they say the twin themes of energy transition and energy security are providing strong market growth drivers for the group across both renewables and the oil and gas market um, and the group's trading the first four months of 2022 has been strong um the board has raised its profit expectations uh so i think ashton technology actually is a great company to look at um it's in all the right sort of places um we haven't probably looked at it close enough so i can't give you any sort of you know more detail on that but i, I think it is a very good business yeah and as you see nicely hedged as well between sort of renewables and oil and gas but uh but that, that's quite uh just quickly, that revenue growth versus the EBITDA growth, the fact that EBITDA has grown that dramatically on the revenue growth is always a good, that's a good sign for a business, that sort of leverage. Well, wow. yeah. Now, the other result, um, yeah. which I'll let you talk through because I'm probably biased because I really like this company. Um, I think it has huge potential. Uh, but I know you listened to the analyst call and I didn't because I was tied up doing something else. But that is Nexus Infrastructure where they had interim results, didn't they? Yeah, this uh, ticket is... N-E-X-S, um, and there are three strands to this business. Um, the first one is, is Triconex, so they their skill is in installing infrastructure into big new housing developments, 
um, and that includes you know the water, the electricals, the fibres. Um, so they do that all over the UK. They have uh, Tamdown who do earthworks for uh, again for property, big property developments. And the third strand of the business, which initially got us interested, was the smart networks business. And this is um, EV electrical vehicle charging infrastructure. So I guess the core of this group's its ability to work with big networks, you know, like the electrical grid for EV charging, fiber optic networks for comms into the big housing developments, the water, the water and, and, and general sort of electricity. Um, but yeah, in terms of the results, Andrew, they were quite, I, they're quite mixed and they're mixed because it's three different fundamental you know, business areas with different drivers. So, you know, for instance, if you looked at the Triconnects and we've had a good housing market, lots of development happening, their revenues were up two and a half percent, operating profit up two and a half percent and order book up three, three percent. So, you know, that's that's all quite nice. Tamdown, well, now this is the Earthworks part of it. Um, that business has been in a, you know, in a, very much in a turnaround mode. Um, and they've managed to move that, interestingly enough, in from, from a profit of 0.3 million to a profit of 1.1 million. And their order books, they, they've fallen slightly. But the fact was, in this business, they're taking on higher margin, getting higher margins for the business. And a really exciting part that caught my eye is on eSmart Networks, which we've been looking at very closely. And the revenues, and this is a newer business, bearing in mind, the revenues are up 2.8 million to 8.6. Um, an operating loss of 0 0.4 and, and moving to an operating loss of 1.1. Now, the loss has increased slightly, but remember in mind the revenue jumped because they're still they're, they're investing heavily in growing this business. Um, and they, more importantly as well, they saw their order books up 72% to 21 million. So this is, you know, this business, I don't know how long ago it started, two years of that. But now they've got onto orders of 21 million and a half year Revenue of 8.6, really accelerating. Yeah, look, the other thing I like about this business is that it's got a lot of cash. Yes. 23 million of cash. Yeah, 23 million of cash in an environment that's getting tougher. Uh, and when it comes to negotiating business, uh, cash is king. Yeah. And the other thing is they're trying to, they, to me, one of the companies that they're starting to look a lot like, they've still got a bit more work to do, is a company called Alfen that is a Dutch company. Mm. And we've talked a little bit about Alfen in the past. I've been a big, big fan of it. But I mean, Alfen, believe it or not, you know, we just talked earlier about how transitional energy stocks are down quite severely this year. Alfen actually is up about 20% this year and actually hitting new highs at 102 euros. Uh, just to put it into context, that the stock was uh, back in sort of 2020, so a couple of years ago, was trading below 20 euros. Uh, so if Nexus can do anything similar, then we're in for one hell of a good ride. Uh, yeah. so I, I do get excited by this stock. Yeah, it's a super, look, they're in a super, super space. And no matter what happens to the economy at the moment, the charging infrastructure um, is, 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 is definitely required. Uh, it's more than just charging infrastructure. Yeah. The charging infrastructure, but I mean, it's the whole way the grid is going to reshape itself as we yeah. move to, you know, long duration energy storage, wind and solar power. There is just so much work to be done and a hydrogen economy. It needs all three divisions, in my view, for this move to transitional energy. Anyway, enough probably on that one, although Alpen, by the way, is still a great stop. We should, we should look at that more. Maybe go and see them in Holland. A little trip to Holland, that does a lot of good, Phil. Um, 
Uh, what else have you got? Uh, well, going on to more sort of techie things, I noticed that um, what have we got here. You come across uh, one spatial, so mapping software. Yeah. Um, so uh, ticker is SPA, smaller company. Uh, they reported uh, four year results uh, a few weeks ago, revenue of 27 million and EBITDA of 4.2 million. But their software is used and it works with the Ordnance Survey software, I think, and they've obviously got their own. But what it does, it's mapping software and it tells you what is where. So if you're a utility, it will tell you where all your pipes are and drains are. If you're a rail network where it controls are along the line, control boxes. So what is located where? Why is that important? Well, if you're doing any kind of maintenance, you need to know what you're digging up and what what is around, you know, what is around in 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 the area, or try to you know monitor control boxes, for instance, on the rail networks. You need to know where it's located. That's what their software does, um, and they announced this week that they had secured a two-year contract with HS2, uh, who clearly developing the uh, the high-speed network up to Birmingham and beyond. Um, and this is to help them with construction related data um, for for the network. So I thought that was quite good um, for them. And it's they're saying it's the first significant contract with HS2. So, OK, it's revenue of what, a million pounds over two years. But it's the fact that they are now in there and approved as a supplier. I think it's a good it's a good step for them. Yeah, That's, they were they were presenting at the Mellow event that I was at the other day. Uh, and I think a lot of people I was talking to said it was the most impressive company they met. So, um, yeah, so that, there you go. So well worth, that's well worth a closer look. Now, um, something that's a lot bigger is RSW, is RSW Holdings or RWS Holdings? I've probably got one way. The ticket is RWS anyway. It's 1.5 billion market cap. Um, can you remember SDL? Uh, yeah. Yay. Well, RWS. Uh, they they acquired SW they acquired SDL um, and so this is all about uh, language translation um, and much as one may assume it's all done using Google Translate no it's not because of course with language you can do part machine translation but it absolutely needs to be localized it read by a human being put into you know properly contextualized uh, by a human being so they combine the two. That's called localization, where you're using humans and you match it, you know, you, you work alongside machine translations. Now they they supply their software and services. It goes into 18 just on the technical side, technical translation, 18 of the top 20 law firms and the um all, nearly all the top 20 pharma companies. And that's just for technical translation. But you know, you go to any corporate website, it needs to be localized for the for the country. Um so they were reporting um sales and uh so it's half yeah it's half year results sorry i'm mumbling here i shouldn't be um but they their core revenues were up at nine percent profit before tax was up at 120 percent um and and you know i don't I can't i've not stripped down these results in great detail see how much is sort of you know sdl coming in versus organic um and the shares are down 40 percent in six months but it sort of occurred to me that if we had for, you know, as more of an economic slowdown, um, these are still the sorts of services that really are needed in terms of, you know, as companies are marketing and launching new products. 
So this is one that's um, probably well worth a look at from a recovery perspective. Well, I'll tell you one that probably isn't worth looking at from a recovery perspective. Well, having said that, its market cap is now down to 7 million uh, and therefore there's little more that can be lost. Uh, and it's one that we've unfortunately been incredibly negative on for quite a few years and it's Xeros Technologies. Um, unfortunately, this uh, they had an announcement out today, actually they had an announcement out no, sorry, earlier this week. There was a delay to the launch of their IFB domestic machine, uh, but they're sending their team down to Goa to see what's going wrong. I mean, I think you're quite appreciative. I sent you down to Goa, wouldn't you, Phil? This is washing machines. Yeah. Is it? What do you yeah, think? it is. Yeah, it's the most peculiar RNS sending their team down to go. I thought that's when you went on holiday, not to sort out a washing machine. But anyway, look, the stock price has fallen from what there's various splits and things, but 250 pounds down to 33p, i.e., oh. basically just about every penny that's gone in there. And there's been a lot of money that's gone in there. Hundreds of millions of pounds has basically been lost uh, trying to reinvent the washing machine. Oh dear. Well, that's a very so, hey, I visited Hot Points factory many years ago and there's lots of people with lab coats loading washing machines. Actually, I'm talking about, I think, AO World, don't they sell washing machines? Yes, they do. And they're so. they announced this week they're closing their German business. Oh. So clearly the washing machine market is very tough. <laughs> hey, we've got to do some more research into this. We're all, we're all doing a hand washing now. We don't want to be bothering the machine. Um, God, the, the consumer squeeze has gone so far. We don't want washing machines anymore. I don't know. <laughs> right. right. Well, have you got anything else you want to mention? Oh, I don't. Probably no, uh, dribbled on or whatever long enough. No, that, that's it, I think, Andrew. You're just quietly giggling to yourself, aren't you, about bloody I, washing machines? <laughs> I, I am very sorry. To quickly tell you, I was working for a microprocessor company. The washing machines were going to fast spin as soon as you switched them on. So I sat there with an engineer for a week in the hot point factory trying to get them fixed which we eventually did hurrah <laughs> there we go we'll call it a day if anybody wants to send us any messages about this podcast telling us about some interesting washing machine story or anybody got anything that they want to um uh us to talk about then please just message us and we will or if anybody just wants to send us a check with some money for giving a wonderful podcast feel free to do that as well um or, or as we started pop around my house on saturday and have a pint of beer but on that note we'll call it a day and we will speak again next week I uh, look forward to that, Andrew.